some understanding of what kings are involved and things like that. So 21, 1 to 7. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, <coughs> King Zedekiah sent to him, Hashem, Malchiah, and Zephaniah, the son of Messiah, the priest, saying, Please inquire of the Lord for us, King of Babylon, makes war against us. Perhaps the Lord will deal with us according to all his wonderful works, that the king may go away from us. Then Jeremiah said to them, Thus you shall say to Zedekiah, Thus the Lord God of Israel. Behold, I will turn back the weapons of war that are in your hands, with which you fight against the king of Babylon and the Chaldeans, who besiege you outside the walls. And I will assemble them in the midst of the city. I myself will fight against you with an outstretched hand and with a strong arm. Even in anger and fury and great wrath, I will strike the inhabitants of this city, both man and beast. They shall die in the great pestilence. And afterwards, says the Lord, I will deliver Zedekiah, king of Judah, his servants, and the people, and such as are left in the city from the pestilence, and the sword, and the famine, into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, into the hands of their enemies, and into the hands of those who seek their life. And he shall strike them with the edge of, his, of the sword. He shall not spare them, or have pity or mercy. Okay, now this begins a section of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 21 to 25, that are really messages of Jeremiah toward the leaders in Judah. And uh, we're going to need, when there are time references, to make sure we kind of are organized as to when this is. This was in the days of who, here in 21? <coughs> Zedekiah. What do you know about Zedekiah? He was the... And what, where was he in the line of kings? Wasn't he almost last? Uh, you could strike the almost. He was last. Yes, he was the last king of Judah. He was more wishy-washy than the other ones. He would turn to Jeremiah, but not do what was right. But he'd want Jeremiah's help, and then he wouldn't follow it, and things like that. So Zedekiah sends word to Jeremiah through Pasher and Zephaniah. Don't think of the Pasher of chapter 21. The Pasher of 21 was the son of Immer. This is Pasher, the son of Malchijah. So it's a different Pasher and one that was more supportive of Jeremiah because when he sent Pasher and Zephaniah, the priest, to Jeremiah, it's to, it's to request Jeremiah to do what? Yes, about? Delivering them from the attack. Yes, delivering them from Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. You know, he's wanting Zedekiah to find out if the Lord will come through for them. Perhaps the Lord will deal with us according to all his wonderful acts, so that the enemy will withdraw from us. You know, he's remembering all the great things that God has done in the past, and he's wondering if God will come and rescue them again. What do you think about Zedekiah wanting to know that from Jeremiah? He knows that Jeremiah is really 
talking to God. Okay, so Jeremiah is a good source of finding out God's will and maybe even trying to talk to the Lord on their behalf. However, he's not really being any sorrowful for what they've been doing. He's just, well, let's find out if the Lord maybe might forgive us without really being all repentful. Yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting. He resorts to Jeremiah. Here's the prophet of doom and gloom. Here's the prophet that Zedekiah and the people of Judah have not been listening to and have not been following. But I think you get desperate and you turn to anybody. Maybe, maybe Jeremiah can help. Maybe God will come through for us. How do people sometimes look at God? Vending machine? Yeah, exactly. What do they want from God? You know, God to spit out the blessings. A vending machine that, you know, well, if we, if we say the right prayer, God, please come through for us and do this. People don't necessarily want to commit themselves to the Lord like they need to be. And so I think that's what you've got here is... Well, I mean, if it's desperate, hey, try God. You know, try, try Jeremiah. But it's kind of a mockery of everything Jeremiah has been saying. You know, it's really trivializing all the warnings about their disobedience and their unfaithfulness and things like that. That's something that we need to take seriously. That we need... To repent and serve the Lord, not just turn to the Lord when we get in trouble and beg Him for help. So he is asking Jeremiah to ask God, will God deal with us according to all His wonderful acts? You know, will God give us another great deliverance? Did you hear the answer? Jeremiah said to them, verse 3, You shall say to Zedekiah's followers, as follows, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am about to turn back the weapons of war which are in your hands, with which you are warring against the king of Babylon and the Chaldeans who are besieging you outside the wall, and I will gather them into the center of the city. I myself will war against you with an outstretched hand and a mighty arm. Uh-oh, this is not what he wanted to know. God says, You want me to fight in this battle? I sure will. I'll be on the side of your enemies fighting against you. I'll make sure that the weapons that are in your hands are turned against you. You know, God is going to have, he's going to be there with his outstretched hand and his mighty arm. That's what he used in the Exodus to deliver them. Only in this case, the outstretched hand and the mighty arm are going to be against his people. That's not really what they wanted to know. God was going to punish them. With, verse uh, uh, 7, pestilence, sword, and famine. Those are the big three. The trilogy of horror. And give them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, and uh, he won't spare or have compassion. So, Zedekiah says to Jeremiah, find out if God's going to help us in the war. <laughs> and he, he's told, God's going to be there helping your enemies conquer you. Not very good news for Zedekiah and Judah. But it's exactly what you'd expect. They've been rebellious and unfaithful. Comments and questions? Okay.
Okay, uh, H10. Now you shall say to this people, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. He who remains in this city shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. But he who goes out and, def and defects the Chaldeans who besiege you, he shall live, and his life shall be as a prize to him. For I have set my face against this city for adversity and not for good, says the Lord. It shall be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. Here's the message for the people. And what's the message? Repent. I mean, um, give yourself up or die. Yeah. He says, this is a life and death message. Here's the way of life, the way of death. Uh, if you want to die, what should you do? Fight. Fight and stay in the city. If you want to live, what should you do? Give up. Surrender. Turn yourself over to the Babylonians and you'll get booty. What will your booty be? Your own life. <laughs> That'll be the spoil you take out of this. You'll get your own life. Now, what does a country think about a man who preaches for them to <coughs> surrender? What does that sound like? Coward. Cowardly? We got a word for that. What do we call? Wimpy. Wimpy. Uh, it's treason. This is treason. You are telling your troops to just surrender. You know, what would you think? Yeah, what kind of ball do you like? Basket, foot, base, whatever. What do you like? Football, basketball. Anybody like ball? You like basketball. What would you think if on your favorite basketball team, a couple of the players were saying, we ought to just quit. We ought to just give up. We can't, we, can't, we can't compete against this team. We ought to just give in. We ought to just forfeit the game. What would you think about that? You don't know Well, yeah, that's right. And that's just like, you don't do that. You know, we want to believe, no, we've got a chance. Beat them. You know, don't give up. Don't give in. You know, it seems just like that's, a, that's being a traitor to the team. So Jeremiah sounds like a traitor. He's just telling you to surrender. But that's exactly what God wanted. Nebuchadnezzar was going to beat him. Best thing they could do is give up. At least they'd live. Don't give up, they'll die. That's your two choices. Comments and questions? Love, uh, yes, Megan. See, the difference is if this is their plan with their lives, I mean, it would seem that if, like, if they would want to live. Yes, but what do they end up believing? That they can conquer Babylon and that Babylon won't come in. They listen to the false prophets who tell them, no, no, God will deliver you from Babylon. But you're right. What Jeremiah said, says makes sense. Since God is going to fight against them, they cannot <clears throat> They're better off surrendering. But they believe the false prophets who say, oh no, you'll be with, the Lord will be with you and you won't have to give in. You won't be defeated.
Other thoughts? I think it's cool that even though God wanted to punish them, He was still willing to tell them, you know, <laughs> you have a better chance of living if you do this. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I mean still cared for them. God's message was really the best thing for them. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, sometimes we don't realize that. When, when God's message is something we don't like to hear, we end up thinking that it's not what's best. But we ought to quit evaluating whether we like it or not. The question is, is it true? And God tells us what's best. He tells us things that will help us if we listen to them. Other comments or questions? Okay, how about uh, 11 to 14? O house of David, thus says the Lord, and administer justice every morning and, and deliver the person who, who, have, who has been robbed from the power of his oppressor, that my life may not go forth like fire, and burn with, with none to extinguish it, because of the evil of, of their deeds. Behold, I am against you, O valley dweller, a rocky plain, it declares the Lord, the men who say who will come down against us, or who can who will enter into our habit habitations. But I will punish you according to the results of your deeds, declares the Lord, and I will kindle a fire in its, in its forests, and that it may devour all its in environment. Okay, so he's in verse 11, then say to the house of, household of the king of Judah, hear the word of the Lord, O house of David, and the message to them is to do what, verse 12? What was the responsibility of the king? Administer justice. Administer justice and... Deliver the oppressed. Protect the citizens from being exploited by people who are stronger than they are. That's the king's responsibility. Uh, and if and that's the only way to keep the fire from burning and destroying them. But how did the people of Jerusalem feel in verse 13? Who will come down against us? What were they thinking? We're better than you. Not only better, but what were they trusting in, do you think here? Can you tell? Themselves. Themselves and their city. Their city. They felt like they lived in a mountainous region. Nobody could get there. They had strong fortifications. Who is going to come down against us? Who's going to enter into our habitation? They can't get into Jerusalem. It's too hard to get here. We've got too good a wall. You know, it was a false sense of security. They felt like we're, we're not vulnerable. You know, nobody can attack us. Nobody can destroy us. Now that has been reinforced, and we're going to see this later in Jeremiah. It's been reinforced by the false assurances of the false prophets who keep telling them nothing can happen to Jerusalem. And so they start trusting in themselves, trusting in their defenses, and feeling like nothing can happen to them. You know, that's pretty irrational with the Babylonian army on their doorstep. You know, to feel like 
Wow, nothing can happen to us. Um, and so he says, but I will punish you according to the results of your deeds. I'll kindle a fire in his forest and it'll devour everything. That's what God's going to do. He makes it clear there is no salvation from Babylon because he has decreed Babylon will destroy them. It's not because Babylon's stronger. They may have been, but it doesn't matter. God ever given victory to a weaker army? All the time. The question is, God is behind Babylon. He wants Babylon to punish Judah for their sins. Comments and questions? It's really cool how even though they're so close to destruction, they're being attacked. The Babylonians coming against them. But he still gives them at least two ways out. First off, uh, earlier that we talked about, he gives them the choice to go and surrender themselves. And then he says to the king, if you just obey me, I won't do this to you, even though it's right there. He still gives them ways out all the way up to, uh, to the very end. And he still gives us ways out all the way up to the very end. And we... We are so many times as stupid as they are then that we don't take all of these many options that he's giving us. Yeah, it's more outrageous when he's given them so many fair warnings and so many opportunities to repent and God relent. They haven't taken advantage of any of them. Good point. Thoughts, comments? Logan? I think it's kind of funny and sad at the same time of how many nations, they, they thought that their strongholds were safe. Like, here in Obadiah with the Edomites, they, they all think they, they have the strongest thing possible. And then God comes and just swipes them out of the way. And it really shows the power of God. How does God feel about somebody trusting in how strong they are? He is rejected. Yeah. For God, trusting in your strength is what? How does God evaluate that? What does he think about that? It's pride. It's arrogance. It's... It's trying to provide your own security. So anytime we think, I'm tough enough to handle it on my own, God brings us down. God's message to us is not think you're secure in yourself, but seek refuge in me. Megan. It's almost like saying I'm better than God. Like I'm more powerful than God. That's exactly right. So we can't rely on our own strength. When we try to do that, we are going down because God won't let us think that we're strong enough to handle things ourselves. That's why we always have to humble ourselves and take refuge in God. You know, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. God never says, be strong in thinking you can handle everything on your own. <laughs> Good point. Other thoughts? You think the Israelites who have been through so many wars and won at immensely disproportionate odds that they would get the concept that God was in control, not them. But yet they still think, oh, well, our city's so cool, you can't touch us. You're right. I mean, why would we be prideful? You know, we don't have any more business being prideful than anybody else has, and yet it seems like we're always overestimating our ability to handle things on our own. So, it's a common problem. The contrast here between um, the Jerusalem there, that they're taking pride in their walls there, um, and that being not sufficient, and now the new Jerusalem, God's church, um, and eventually heaven, and how we have a wall of fire that is God, 
around us, like Zachariah talks about, and how we can take confidence in that Jerusalem, but not this Jerusalem. Yes, if we're trusting the Lord and not thinking we can produce our own fire. Yeah, that's, that's the key. Trust in the Lord, rely on Him, depend on Him. Don't think I can handle things, I'm good enough, I want to do things for myself. Humble yourself and rely on God. That's been the lesson. And so do what He says. Obey Him. Not because you think obeying Him is going to make you tough enough to handle that on your own, because, but because by obeying Him, you're submitting to Him and letting Him take charge and handle everything. So that's a common lesson. I mean, that uh, you know, question of, of trust in God and dependence on God is really big. Other thoughts? Okay, um, he's got messages to the kings, chapter 22, verses 1 to 9. 